0: What's up everybody? Welcome back to the O2 podcast. Tonight Paul and Andrew are here to talk with you. We've got all kinds of stuff, Paul. But oh, first of all, how are you feeling, my man?
1: So, for those of you that don't know and I and I talked to a couple of a couple of listeners, a couple of really good guys on Instagram go out over the weekend. Uh, I had sinus surgery on Thursday, so I'm, what, four days four days removed now, Andrew? Yeah, and you and sent me some if pictures. if I said anything dumb on, on Thursday or Friday, I'm sorry. Uh, Thursday was a blur. I'll, I'll have to say, man, my my wife is, has really been taking care of me well uh, the last couple of days, so... Uh, I'm feeling better. I can breathe out of my nose. I got these damn stents taken out today. You sent me a uh, picture I mean, of two giant, bloody-looking tampon things that were disgusting, dude. So they're they're like these tubes, right? And and they're like fins. And I, they're they're honestly they're probably like three inches long. I mean, these things were no joke, dude. And uh, they were in my they were in my said. sinuses, like in, in, like in my face. It was amazing. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, it was the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. When those things came out, I mean, I was,
0: I was miserable.
1: You talked to me a couple of times over the weekend. It, it, my face hurt; it was just awful, man.
0: It was, it was awful. It so. was funny to keep asking you how your face, or if your face hurt, because yeah, you know, the old oh, joke it's killing, it's killing me. me. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it it and it was. I, I'm glad that I had the surgery. You know, it, the recovery is going to take a couple of a couple of weeks. I think, um, where I really see the benefits of the surgery. But so far, I can breathe through my nose on like I've ever been able to before. But I'm feeling better, so thank you for asking. I'm not going to do any hunting uh, this week. I didn't do any last week. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be the the idea of climbing a tree or dragging a deer out right now sounds awful because I still I I still have some pain. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. So you're ready for the rut. Yeah, that's it, man. Get ready for the rut. My 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 40th birthday's coming up, so I got to get ready for that. I'm gonna you know do something fun for that. I'm not sure. So, but you, man, you've had an an eventful couple of days, uh, I guess ten days really since we've since we've sat down. I've talked to a few uh, in, people in the Deerwood. So. I've talked to
0: a few people, and here's the deal, Paul. Just the, a few. The day that my hunting ad- adventure goes as you know they what they are on TV or as it's supposed to, that would be the day I need to retire from hunting. I think.
1: Yeah, said that, I'm done.
0: It it never just goes the way it's supposed to. It's always something, right? Um. So I'll just rattle off the story. If you want the images of this, uh, check Go Wild. Because I'm not really sure I'm going to post them on Instagram. I don't really feel like dealing with any censorship or anything like that. But I know over on Go Wild, our friends there, they don't do that. And uh, No, while, no censorship. While we're on Go Wild, shout out to those guys. Uh, some big news coming down the pipeline from one of the old uh, the members over there. Beware. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not going to give any oh, yeah. too many of the details, but... He might have got a bloody arrow over the weekend. Yeah. And it had more than him. just skin on its head. So.
1: so proud of him. Go wild. Time to go wild.com. You can download it. Android, Apple. We love it. We talk about it all the time. Real quick, I had an interesting conversation with Sam Soho, which he's uh he's just a creator. He's an, he's a, an influencer, if you will, on on Instagram. I really like his stuff, Andrew. So I don't want to think people think I'm saying anything bad. But we had an interesting conversation. He was complaining about Instagram and Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm like, just just get on, go wild. And he called it he he called it a. a vacuum an echo chamber right and, and i was i was kind of upset about that and i made the comment to him that you know you were one post away from losing your entire platform one post from someone in silicon valley that doesn't give a crap about deer hunting or you and your platform is gone and and i, I i'm just amazed that people still want to support we have to do instagram facebook all these other stupid things because that's the way that we communicate as modern human beings the time is coming we're we're, we're hunters and anglers you're not going to be fortunate enough to be able to do that stuff. It's going to happen. So go wild. Awesome. Love that guy. It's a great community. That's what it is. It's a community. Check it out. Couldn't be happier with those guys. Absolutely.
0: So, So, but on my end, so last weekend, if you were following, let's see, two weekends ago, uh, I shot a deer I missed. And when I picked up that arrow, I mean, it was in the ground. Uh, There wasn't blood, hair, meat, anything on that arrow. I'm like a clean miss. I felt relieved, I guess, to that degree. So I uh, went out this weekend, nice, nice, cool mornings. Um, but this was actually in the evening, Saturday night, so exactly one week after missing that deer. I was standing, sitting up there in the stand, similar setup as the week before, and this doe comes in, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And Now I have a little bit of redemption I need to get just in my mind for missing the shot and all this stuff, so I'm like, I'm still feeling the freezer, we'll go ahead and take this one. But I noticed on her back she had a couple spots, and the the spots were more of, uh, the,
1: like wounds.
0: They looked like wounds, or maybe she was picking, or missing mold, hair, molding, caught a branch, whatever. Couldn't tell from where I was at. Anyways, she kind of comes around. I get the shot set up. Uh, I was able to shoot her. <sighs> of course, there's something always happens. I'm not making excuses for my shot. I've got the video this time to actually, to to prove it. But if you look. She steps backwards, like right at the wrong time. And it wasn't because of me. She was just skittish because she. Uh, Do you think she heard the,
1: the bow go off?
0: No, not this time. She was skittish okay. coming in at all because um, the week before. Well, you had shot her the week before. But I didn't know that at that point. Anywho. Sorry. She takes a step back, six, eight inches, whatever. Boom. The arrow goes right in her neck. Now, the hindsight of that is that uh, she was expired in 10 seconds. I mean that was yeah. the fastest I've ever seen it do. I
1: mean grow. you you showed me where, where you shot her and I you could literally see her ten feet from where from the impact site and she was dead.
0: Yeah, instantly within basically. seconds. Yeah. So from a humane society or humane side of things Standpoint. it was better. Um yeah. but I got down, I wanted to flip her over and see what these spots were. And if you don't believe in no man's land, um and I won't say I didn't believe in it. It was some of those things I was just kind of like, is this kind of an, ex- not an excuse, but something we say to make ourselves feel better if we don't find a deer or, yeah. you know, we hit one and you just, you don't end up, you know, finding her in the woods or whatever, but no, it's real. And, uh, so I flipped the deer over. She has two holes in her body, literally a hole and that we're talking Millimeters, it felt like from her spine. I have no idea how that deer survived. Those animals are incredible. And show. So what happened was she ducked that arrow the week prior. It didn't miss. It went through her, but she carried on for a whole week. Now when I got in there to butcher her up, the area wasn't. It wasn't like pus and you know rotted, complete infection or anything. It was a little cooler Uh last week. But the, I cut out some of it, right? I wasn't... It was a part of the back strap, and that's exactly where it went through. Um, it's just amazed to me that that is an animal. And I, somebody I was talking to was like, well, we get piercings and stuff, and people get piercings, and they go on. But this is like having a piercing right next to your spine. So it was...
1: Yeah, that's 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 a terrible analogy. I mean, yeah, that'd be like taking a piece of rebar and shoving it through your shoulder. You're not just going to keep going on. And yeah, I mean, like you like that really hurts. So,
0: we we got people in this society who stub their toe and they want to take a week off of work. Yeah. yeah, this deer didn't have a chance to do that. Right? She had to keep on. So, um, long story. Was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, long story short, got our second one for the year in the freezer, and uh, we'll move on to bigger and better things we're real close to that let's just focus in on the antler maybe i got this whole thing backwards i should start with the antlers but
1: maybe yeah i'm not sure so you know before we dive into the to the news there's a lot going around uh here in the buckeye state but Thank you to to tethered, TetheredNation.com. Yes, find them on Instagram for their support of the show. Awesome products that they make. I'm getting more comfortable in them. You seem to be a freaking wizard uh, in in the tree saddle. So so good for you. You've taught me. You've taught me well. I know we've had a, we've had a couple of listeners reach out and say that they've gotten they've they've bought uh, a tethered system. So if you're one of those guys, you're you're in tethered. You're in latitude. Timber Ninja doesn't matter. Bullman any of them let us know what you're uh you know what you're what you're feeling how, how you're doing especially if you're if it's your first year i've i've talked to a lot of guys i talked to a guy at go wild the other day he's like man i'm six three three hundred pounds i'm like buddy you and i are cut from the same cloth you're going to be more comfortable in that damn thing than you ever have in any other uh, type of tree system so yeah tetherednation.com. they got everything in stock check it out uh and also our friends months you've converted me man i i've today just walk around my first, my, my first light. Every so, time I talked to you, to got my piece on. I loved it. I know, man. I got the kiln. Hoodie. I'll tell you what. Like, so after that surgery and and, and you've had a couple of surgeries here recently and, and, and the folks that have been through that, my body was just in like complete shock, man. I was cold constantly. And this freaking kiln hoodie saved me, dude. Like I, I have been living in this thing i i i'm i'm gonna have to wash it twice before i can wear it in the deer woods again because i i've just been camping out in this thing since last thursday and it uh was just so cold but man i I'm, I'm i'm a big fan so firstlight.com. uh i saw uh today that they've got their whitetail sale is on right now 20 percent off on all of their specter all of their whitetail gear on firstlight.com. so yeah
0: and this is good through yeah. october 16th so base yep. layers all that kind of stuff um I think the catalyst is my one if I had to say you had to pick one thing that's what I would say go to. Yeah. Um uh, but guys if if this is, if you're interested in in trying dipping your toes in uh the water be careful that water will pull you in real real hard but yeah. it is uh, an investment that I think you will enjoy for yeah. many minutes.
1: Start with the base layers. If you just want to if you want to dabble with the base layers, the 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 kiln, the furnace.
0: Okay. Man. true story, true confession. I I picked up one of those source jackets over the summer. Yeah. And I, I don't know why, but I was one of those things. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm imagine there's some time I can use it, and I, I used it last weekend, and that thing was money. I, I got don't...
1: one too. I like the sleeves, how they're tapered. Um, I'm I'm mean, kind of like that weird size, man. I got the XL. I probably should get double X. It was a little too. Snug for me, I felt like a an about to burst sausage,
0: but uh, super warm, super warm, and it It is it it packs it packs down so like yeah,
1: it's super small. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird actually. I like it. It's weird, good weird.
0: I don't think it's a brush busting gear, but it was definitely oh god no, a good thing. So
1: what what do we got news from the state, man? I know, I mean we are just a few weeks away. I'm seeing a ton of deer killed. If you if there's a there's a Twitter there's a Twitter feed. I think it's like Ohio Bucks is the Twitter feed. I'm not sure who runs it. I follow him on Twitter, but man, this guy, he gets he gets pictures from all over the state of people there are some big deer getting killed in the Buckeye State. So all right. So I know I know Trumbull County is at the top of the top of the heap this week, right? Oh, do you? Yeah, do you know that Paul? Uh, did they did they change? Well, someone, uh, one of our listeners, uh, Justin and Brandon from Trumbull County, natives, sent me a text and said, "Trumbull County, bitch." So I, you <laughs> know, I, I assumed that Trumbull County was at the hey, top of you the mile. So what, we, the, what do you're, we got?
0: When you are at the top of the mountain, there is always somebody gunning for you, right? Yeah. All right, so through October thirteenth, the entire state number thirteen thousand and nine. All right, so that's four thousand seven hundred thirty-nine of them are antlered. 8270 are antler lists and yeah. number 1 with 535 Coshocton County oh, taking her back they have taken yeah. back their crown so um, if you if you listen to the show and
1: you live in Kashawn County and you have killed a deer in the state of Ohio this year a buck a doe doesn't matter i want to talk to you we want to get you on the show the Ohio Hunt Camp or oh, the O2 Hunt Camp we got some some good talks coming up with some people. I want to hear from because there are some big ass damn deer in Chautauqua County. Those boys are some killers out there. There, so in ladies, don't forget the ladies. Yeah, Killer, freaking killers. There are. Um, so you, you want to dive into the funny one, the, 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 the Lake Erie nonsense, or do you want to hang d- on? Hang on. Sc-
0: let's get a couple of these other ones in real quick. Yeah. And there's there's more information on all these on odnr's website and stuff like that. So, uh, they opened up the Hocking Hills Lodge down there in Logan. So that's another state park. That lodge. thing looks really neat. Yeah. That thing looks <laughs> super beautiful. sweet. Yeah. The division of wildlife has granted the Toledo zoo, $250,000 for conservation. Uh, we've got the upcoming pheasant releases across the state. That's always, I love those. Yeah. I know,
1: yeah. I know you're a bird, man. Yeah. Right uh, in the middle of the rut. Like uh, then last year was November 5th. That's what I'm going to be doing. You am going to shoot deer on November 5th. I'm going to be hunting pheasants, with my dudes that's such a crazy that's a, it's,
0: people are like god what an idiot i love it man you do you love man it. don't you do you don't judge me months you just leave it more deer out in the woods for the rest of us yep, uh, keep going the uh we got some new fishing regulations so the brief part of that was they up the pole limit to three poles or three lines in the water i think um I saw. Uh, check check that out there's there's a few other things cat some catfish regulations and different things but speaking of fishing paul oh uh, god and I'm sure
1: everyone listening to the shows are at this point. I mean, I made national
0: news. Let's just, there's two, I got two stories. I actually, there's one I forgot to tell you about, but the, uh, uh, we they're not good stories coming out of Ohio, man. And I don't know what to say, but I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners have seen, if not look it up, uh, the walleye scandal in, uh, uh, the walleye fishing tournament up there on Lake Erie, where these guys were packing the, the fish full of weights and lead weights
1: like massive like eight ounce lead weights yeah i think and walleye filets like filets
0: ice cubes and i think they said scissors there might have been a pair of scissors oh my god what a bunch of dumbasses come on guys when you pull out a fish that's like this big and you say it weighs 30 pounds like come on yeah we're not what
1: they they said that i i read somewhere and 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 i don't know what's true that there were Eight pounds of lead weights that they pulled, the the regu- or the regular moderators uh, of this pulled out of that fish, uh, out of those fish, and put in that bucket in the video that you saw. Eight pounds of lead. That's insane. I mean, one, like, that's the we, we, cheating aside. Like, you're just, you're, you're killing a fish. You're going to throw it back. A fish is going to die. So, one, you're a dick, right? Want and waste, all these other things. Dude, that is just strong, man. And those guys, I I read somewhere that those guys made an, an estimated 300000 dollars from sponsorships and, and winnings on that
0: on that tour. Dude, there's Buku dollars in in all that. Um and I just what did the old uh was it Monday Night Football? Who was the guy? Uh was it Chris Carter or Randy Moss? Come on, man like yeah. come on man don't be yeah. come on so all so
1: right so nick nick Otto is joining us we're nick we're recording our intro for this week's episode we're trying to get it done before you hopped on so we're just going to streamline right into this if you are ready How, did you hear about the walleye fishing scandal on lake Erie a couple weeks ago did you hear about that
2: yes yes okay. i
1: did i mean that what when you saw that intense. what was your I, it's insane I, I, it was absolutely insane. You watched that video and I, I couldn't even wrap my mind around how someone could be so just dumb.
2: It's, um, yeah. And I think what really drew me into was, I mean, we live in this day and age right now of everything can be documented right there, right now. So as, you you walk up the footage i've seen is that you've walked up to the scales or at least point they they've gotten out to the fish where they've been able to inspect them and the angler in question is standing there as they're just opening it up and you just hear people shouting left and right and it, you know they are they're very passionate about what they're what they're doing so it's like you know what let the guy have it but i yeah. kudos to whoever was running that tournament they're like nobody lays a hand on them they're already caught red-handed at this point they're already in the wrong and now we're just exposing light to this situation yeah. and i don't know i i do my best to try and be an upright sportsman and so to know that the good guy is going to win and that you know right defeats wrong to see this happen it, it is unfortunate um i look at i look at the whole scenario and you're like man that's it's intense. You can't look away from it. But at the yeah. same time I'm glad to know that the right person's gonna win that tournament. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The 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 crowd, they were they were rowdy. Uh I I I was curious to see, you know, I just wondered what kind of you know, what happened when those guys were like, all right, it's time to go. Uh, and they, they took the walk of shame back to their truck and, and, and had to pull their boat out of the water and all that. Like, I mean, those guys were getting shit on for a long time. And then they just, what, you're just going to stand there. You have to, you have to take it, you know, and I haven't seen them issue any sort of apology or, or, or response. I don't know if you guys, and we may never, we may never know what they have to say. So,
0: all right, real quick, but, before we get to Nick, the one other one that, What popped up here was the Ohio man convicted of fraud in the hunting lease scheme. Did either of you see this?
1: Yes. What an idiot. What another dumbass. Like,
0: oh, my God. Wait till you hear
1: this, Nick. This is a good one.
0: Well, let's see. He was convicted of wire fraud and sentenced to prison for his role in an illegal scheme to solicit payments and and sell hunting leases on properties where he had no authority. So basically, the guy was making up, you know, pulling your Zillow uh, land stuff and and selling you a lease to some land he didn't you know actually own and because it was show to hang
1: up show to hang up stands and cameras and someone's <laughs> like what the
0: hell are you doing here i don't can know can i, I you help are. you yeah and i think i think because it was across state lines i think it was the feds got involved um Ooh. Ooh. so yeah this isn't yeah. Uh,
2: sticky sticky sticky
0: yeah. yeah
2: and it was a lot
1: it was a lot of money too i don't remember the exact number but he had he had swindled a couple of people and
0: Man, he received payments man. totaling $34,000 from at oh, man, least 59 you individuals. Man. Man, I well, you think you're cool. It just goes not? to
2: show you that if it's too good to be true, <laughs> right. it probably isn't.
1: Yeah. You're like, oh, 100 acres for 500 bucks? for Yeah, hey, sign me up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could never guess I got this hunting lease on the governor's right. state, you know? No, you didn't. So.
1: Good stuff. So, Nick, thanks for joining us, man. Nick Otto from the Hunt of War podcast. Um Nick, appreciate your time, and hopping on. Why don't you give our listeners uh, a little rundown of who you are, what your show is, uh, and uh, and, and what you do.
2: Perfect. Well, hey, Paul, Andrew, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, um, I'm Nick Otto. Uh, I'm host of the Huntivore podcast. I'm one of the uh, adjoined podcasts on Sportsman's Empire. And, yeah, my big thing is after the shot. I tune into uh, a lot of podcasts to help me improve my own hunting game but when i when i string up my deer or i bring in my turkey or even bring in my fish out of the cooler i want to make sure that i'm giving them those
0: uh you, you got to pull the weights the, out first right is that what yeah, you i got to
2: pull the weights out but i want to give them the best treatment possible i want to make sure that i'm preparing it not only that it's going to respect the animal but at the same time it's going to celebrate the hunt uh that I've just gone and and gotten this, it truly is a huge blessing to be able to get from the wild harvest. And so Huntivore is all about taking that wild harvest and celebrating it with friends and family. How can I best present uh, this meal? How can I make it fancy? And at the same time, like if I'm just making ground, if I'm just making tacos, if I'm just making burgers, like how can I get the best out of wild game when it comes to Making everyday stuff, you know, stuff you're gonna want on a you know Monday night. We were just getting the kids off to football practice, so yeah, throughout venison burgers. And you know, I I made sure when I made that burger, I had the good eighty twenty cut. I made sure I had all that sinew off of it, and uh, tried to make sure that it didn't uh, get warm. I wanted to keep it real cold. Got it back in the bag, got it in the freezer, and now it's stuff we use every day.
1: So. Kind of that mentality and that the, the philosophy that you have, uh, which I mean, that was neat to hear. Was that something that you learned as a kid or was that something that you developed uh, as you got older and just kind of made it your own? Or was that I something in just meat- ingrained from your parents?
2: Yeah, uh, I grew up on a turkey farm, so I've been in the meat industry or around the meat industry since since a little kid. Um I got a picture of me, seven years old, standing on a chair and I'm on the processing line. I'm using the pin feather and trying to take off those little feathers off processed turkeys at that point. So I've been around meat. I've been around, I've had a knife in my hand uh, since a little kid. And then as I grew up, uh, you know, I did the high school stuff and, and went to college and hunting. I've always been around hunting. And finally, when I graduated college, I got my first career job. I got married, and I have a house now. And it was like, I'm making some big decisions, and I kind of want to change what's on my plate. I want to start really being concerned or being aware of what am I putting into my body? What am I putting into my wife and my future kids' bodies? And so I really focused on the idea of being a locavore. I really wanted to, like, get to know the the growers around me, at least within that hundred miles. And then, uh, I stepped into the hunting world and some buddies said, Hey, why don't you come bow hunt with us this year? I had some extra time now and man, I put down a little fork. Actually, he's right here. If you're on the video Mm -hmm. portion, I got him sitting there and he, this little guy changed how I approached the way I, I get protein it's got to be from a grower that I know, it's got to be something that I've got a little bit of investment into, or it's got to be something that I pursue myself. And that's just something I, I just really like being able to take, take, yeah, take from the wild or be able to be connected to that, shorten up my food chain, and it gives me a peace of mind.
0: So, Nick, uh, just before we get into, like, kind of the meat and potatoes, no pun intended, actually pun intended, um, ah, uh, the uh, what's the craziest thing you've ever, ever eaten uh, protein source wise, whether you've killed it or, you know, sourced it from, uh, you know, a farm or whatever?
2: Hmm. I'm I haven't stretched out real strange. I haven't gone true Andrew Zimmer yet. That's that chef that does the, the oh, yeah. crazy wild stuff. Yeah. He's a Minnesota guy and so he's done a bunch of like the you know, pulled Burbit out of the out of the ice and done stuff with that. Um I've really kind of gotten I mean I guess the craziest thing I've done is yeah, getting into the gut and being able to pull out liver. I mean, I've really got to a point where I'm experimenting with liver where liver and onions is tired let me back liver and onions is traditional i know there's going to be some old boys that are already going to be standing up and they're like i don't listen (laughs) to this guy it's it's a traditional meal and there are folks that it it is tired it's one of those things it's hard to have uh you know you have it once a year or whatnot and so trying to use my venison liver and, and spread it out uh so it's something that I'm like I'm I'm actually gaining some of these nutrients here because I'm having a little bit here and there uh, along the way, and making dishes for that. So I made a boudin ball, which actually incorporated liver into uh, into a sausage. It's a Cajun style, but you mix that in there, and then you can you deep, you put some panko on the outside of it, you deep fry it. There's this little ball, and it turned out to be a great appetizer that everybody enjoyed and. You know, I didn't even talk about the liver at that point. They're like, "Yeah, it had this really unique flavor in the back of my head." I'm like, "You've never had liver before, have you?" So
0: I give you credit. Now that's,
2: test that. That's been good.
0: That's one thing I have not been able to to figure out. I don't even know if I could pick out the liver. I've gotten to the part. I pull the heart out, get that, but yeah, the liver's not there yet. So
2: yeah, it's one of those things you got to be. It's it's so nutrient packed. And it's well, it's it's an organ. It's soft. So that venture out of the woods, you got to be pretty delicate with it. I mean, if you just throw it into a game bag and then throw, you know, quarter on top of it. Yeah, it's going to it's going to get squished through and basically be pushed through that screen of that bag. And that's going to be a mess. So it does yeah. take a little bit of care to get it out of the field.
1: So let's let's talk about let's talk about quartering uh in field. Is that your preferred method of getting a deer out of the woods? I mean, are you hunting, you know, like deep in and, in, in a you know big woods or is it just something like that's your method to to get a deer out of the woods? My
2: my method is true and true, uh Michigan traditional. You grab a hoof, you grab a horn, and you just drag the whole thing out. Yeah. Um the We've got some distances here, at least in the areas that I hunt um, in lower Michigan. I've got some areas that, yeah, it's going to be a long hike. You're going to wish you had a buddy. You're going to find a way to get an ATV or get that truck as close as you can uh, to be able to pull that thing out. But um, being able to just drag it out, that's that's my preferred method. Um I, I just know that there's guys that are really getting into quartering it up, throwing it in the pack, and that if that works out, great for him. Being a solo hunter, that's a it's a great thing. Um, my latest drag, well, it was with a uh, with another buck. It was just a little little three point, really, basically a, an elder spike. I was able to take that. At the end of archery felt really good about it. Uh, Mom was she was leaving the house actually. I got back because I was going to see who was who was going to be excited amongst the auto boys who wanted to go uh drag this deer. So of the three, two of them wanted to come along, and one was four and the other one was three. So it's the the youngers that are joining me on this <laughs> venture. And we had to go we had to go down a ravine, down in, and then up a ravine. And my goal was was to Leave them with the flashlights. It wasn't pitch dark yet, but leave them on one side. Dad, run down, get up, get the deer, and I'll run down, run up with the deer. At least that way, they're not tired, but Dad will at least have that deer over there. And as I'm climbing the far side, I look behind me, and I watch like the little flashlights just teetle down to the bottom. <laughs> the one, the 4 four-year-old was a trooper. He really did a good job, and he was, I mean... Digging his toes in, he was grabbing the little trees and pulled himself up to the other side. The three-year-old was struggling, but he wanted to keep doing it. I said, buddy, because of time, dad's going to carry you. So I pick him up and put him on my shoulder, and I carry him up the ravine, and he is mad about that. He wanted wanted to climb it up. So now we get to the deer. I grab the deer, and I start pulling, and I put the four-year-old in front of me, and he's got a headlamp. But now, you know, four-year-olds in headlamps, they look right at their dad, and he hits me in the eyes. Now I can't see. So then I drag this blind about 20 yards. I go back, and I have to get the three-year-old who's pouting and carry him the 20 yards. And we did this process for the next, it felt like, mile. It felt like I was in the deep woods. I kind of wanted to, something needed to be quartered and thrown in the pack. But, Yeah it was a moment that I got to share with my boys. They're never going to remember. They'll remember like we went and got this deer. Yeah. They won't remember the nitty gritties, but I tell you, it's something that I, I fondly look back on type two Ooh. type of fun.
1: Yeah. What, what a story, man. And I, I, that's the, that's the, those are the moments that, you know, Nick and you know, when, when you close your eyes for the last time, man, that's the stuff that's going to flash in your mind, you know, it's just moments like that. That's, that's the important stuff to me. You know, Absolutely. and 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 I don't get caught up, and you know, I used to get caught up in the horns and all that. People, you know, if you listen to the show, people have heard me talk about that. I, I think the the human side, you know, the the personal side of hunting, I think that's that's the one thing that uh, so many people have just forgotten about. And I love hearing that. What a good story, man! What a good story. Did they help you cut it up too, or just were they tuckered out and and mom put him to bed after they got to the top of the hill?
2: Um, yeah, we went to bed that night. Um, it was cold enough that I could hang it, and so yeah, we didn't bother getting after that for i try to go seven days we're gonna get into this talk uh, as well so it had some time to hang in the garage and but they do they like to come and join in um we've been doing like butter knives i throw some ribs at them and they just kind of like scrape it's not even really cutting but they just they're learning which side's the, the the flat edge which side is the sharp edge um how I keep, you know, if I don't want to get buddy, cut towards a buddy, always keeping that away. Yeah. And so we're going through those things. This might year uh this year might be the first year for my oldest, which is he's in third grade and he's eight. Um, he might he might get a sharp knife this year and Ooh, uh, see if step. he can't. Yeah. He might be able to bone some stuff out this year. Yeah.
0: So let's Andrew, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was gonna start in. All right. So yeah, I
1: say let's dive into it, man. Let's go into the process. When
0: I guess the the first thing I wanted to ask you is, you got a hunter that makes the shot, they find the deer. Okay, that's that's a major hurdle. But once you get through that, we all know there's different ways to gut the deer, whether it's the gutless method or the traditional method and that kind of stuff. I don't want to get too deep into that. There's plenty of YouTube videos and. And a lot of people listening have done this many times, but what is the biggest mistake that you see when it comes to people gutting deer before they take it to their processor? Whether it's, uh, well, I don't know what it would, what, it, what would it be? And and maybe this is an opinion thing, right? But in your opinion, or you, from what you've seen, what's the biggest mistake that hunters make when field dressing the deer?
2: It was, I've had this discussion with a couple processors too, because one of the things I wanted to be able to do was talk about like, there's a there's a whole sect of of hunters. It's almost like a division down the middle. Who's going to cut their own and who's going to go to a processor? And so the processor, I was asking them some questions, and kind of like where we're going right here. And the first one that they got to, or at least what kind of the theme that kept coming up is that guys would get fast and would get lazy. They're they think they're done, but they don 't do a full clean out of that cavity, whether it is fully taking out the anus. Some guys get weird about that, and they don 't even want to mess with the butthole and that's a that's a huge area that if you pull that out that's going to help release heat that 's one element you 're going to be able to get some heat uh out of that animal, but the second time that's going to harbor a ton of bacteria so really making sure that you get that full uh, digestive track out of there. If you poke that, that stomach, I mean, it's not all lost, but do a good job at thoroughly cleaning that out. Um, just dragging it out and kind of giving it a wipe down. Processor's not going to be able to do anything when you bring that to them. You're kind of wasting their time at that point. And not to say that, I mean, there's, they got so many deer coming in, but it's one of those things like, you know, Jimmy brings in his deer with his ass still in it and a bunch of poop still in the ribs, you know, next time Jimmy brings that in, I think he's getting kicked to the end of the line just because he's bringing him a crappy product. You can't yeah. expect greatness if you're bringing in something not great. Damn it, Jimmy.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, one thing that I've always, one of the first deer or times I was around guys killing deer, I was on a deer drive, and... This is a question I, I've heard, but those guys religiously, like you pulled the deer in off the ATVs or whatever, and they went straight over to the hose and like, we're washing everything out. Now it was pretty cold then, but I've heard the opposite that you shouldn't be running water over it to get the debris and stuff out. I mean, obviously you don't want sticks and, and leaves and poop and everything else in there. But, um, is there a time when rinsing out with a hose is a good idea or not a good idea or I've not
2: I've always heard that rinsing is a good idea that you're not you're not filling it full and flushing the animal like you would flush a radiator. You're not you know flipping the animal up and then filling that thing up to let the water soak in there. Um, I have talked to uh, some boys down in Missouri that that's one thing that they do. Uh, actually, do they'll take their meat and they'll uh, put it down in some ice water to try and draw out uh, either blood or or whatever they're trying to do. The issue that I find with that is that you're going to be you're going to be waterlogging the muscle. You're essentially like introducing all this water, and it's just never going to it's not gonna it's not gonna dry out right or it's not going to cook up right. It's just not going to taste right, especially when it's being soaked in that water. The second second thing, too, is bacteria is... One, one thing that it, bacteria really wants is moisture. And so by being able to hang things up, if you're going in there and taking the hose and then spraying it out and then letting it hang, letting it dry, it doesn't have that chance for it to sit there and pool up. You're literally rinsing it out at that point. And if you're using cold water... Anything you can shock that system to to get that body heat out of that carcass is going to be very helpful. Should you sit there and be showering it over and over and waterlogging it? Absolutely not. But after a good clean, if you've got the hose right there, stick that uh nozzle up in there, give it a shot or you know, a big old shot of water, let it all run out, and then make sure it dries.
0: That's beautiful. I'm glad glad you said that. So. <laughs> um well, the next question I have. So we start usually about a week before you guys. You guys up there in Michigan, and uh, we're not even going to get into the whole Michigan Ohio thing right now. Um, oh man, I knew that was
2: going to come up. <laughs> See, I'm still reeling. I'm a, I'm a you know, go green go white kind of guy. Okay. Uh, people refer to us as little brother over here at Michigan State. And I'm still, I got this limp after Saturday. It was it was bad.
0: I I ugh. knew it
2: was coming. And, you know, you could see it on the horizon. You're like, ah, gee whiz! All right,
0: well, now we're in here. So just do your job against Big Brother, okay? That's always fun to watch them lose. No offense to our listeners uh, up there, but uh, we actually had we had a we had
1: a comment a, a review on Apple uh, just this week, and and it was love the show. You guys are great. You're doing a great job. Go Blue! I hate hearing about yeah. I hate hearing about the team down you know, down South go, go big blue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so appreciate that review. Uh, and, and, and keep it, coming. but you say, I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, but we start a week earlier than you guys. And, and a lot of times, September 24th, it was this year or whatever. It, Hot. It, it's not cold. It's not cold. And it's happened to me a time or two. You, you get that deer and you realize that your nighttime temperature is 50 degrees and it's not probably enough, right? No matter if, uh you got a hanger or not what can somebody do and i'm not talking about well i mean i guess you could think about it from if you're taken to a processor but um if you're going to butcher it yourself uh what, what 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 can we do to help aid in that or is there not an option
2: um no and i'm glad you brought that up too cuz there's times here in michigan you get to the opener um yeah we're still we're a week behind you but, shoot, it, today it was 72 outside. Like, oh. it got really warm. And there's moments during opener, either either gun opener or even uh, bow opener, processors are like, hey, we're full, can't take any more. Sorry, guys, we'll see you tomorrow. And there, there's a panic. If you are not prepared, you know, as much preparation goes into being an effective shot, to having your stands, having having a big cooler ready or a couple coolers ready where you can go to the grocery store, get some bags of ice, throw those on the bottom, have a sheet of plastic that you stick over those bags just to kind of keep some separation. Again, we don't want the meat to get wet, but we want that meat to to chill out. Put that plastic down and then go through the process of skinning, quartering that animal, lay those quarters in there, slap that top on, and you just bought yourself a couple days. So you got a day in there right now, you know, you're, you're going to have some ice loss. I would even leave the the uh, cap off the side, off the drain. Just let that water run on out. Ice is fairly cheap still. You know, not gas, but at the same time, you can get ice for pretty cheap. Get a couple more bags of ice the next day just to keep that going. Keep it in the shade, and that's going to buy you some time. It's either to get to the processor or to just let that meat go through rigor mortis. If it's that hot out, yeah, you want to pay some attention to it. You might not get the liberty of doing a really long age on it, so doing it that way. What I personally do is, in my shop, I have a fridge that's dedicated to just beer and just deer because there's going to be a moment. It just happened this opener. My buddy shot one, and he had no place for it to go. We usually cut him up. He's like, but I don't want to let it hang at my house. I don't want to let it hang at your house. It's too cold, or excuse me, it's too hot. And I'm like, dude, I got the fridge, and it's all ready to go. So he brought it over. We quartered it up, just laid those quarters in, and we gave it a good four days of just hanging out in that fridge alone. I would not say do that in your kitchen fridge because there's a lot that goes into basically disturbing the family's balance of having to move all that food (laughs) and stuff. You know, if you gotta drink warm beer for a couple of days because you got your deer, I I think you'll be okay.
0: Or you gotta drink all the beer before you put the the deer in there. So then it just becomes a party, (laughs) right? You're you're making
1: me feel bad. I've I've have uh hung deer from trees outside and and taped several bags of ice inside the cavity uh and i i'm amazed I'm, I, i've never been sick <laughs> from deer meat but hearing, pa- hearing you say that so
0: definitely not definitely not ideal but uh paul yeah. all i heard was that we need to go buy uh, a big refrigerator or some massive yetis and yeah there I'm you sure go there, yep too. Put yeah, it on me.
2: I told you, go get the big coolers.
1: <laughs> there you go. So, so Nick, let's let's talk about kind of the the aging process uh, for 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 venison. Um, one, what is it, and, and why why do we do you do it, and do we all need to do it? I'm, I'm very intrigued by that.
2: Yeah, it's well, you hear guys talk about aging venison, and you also hear people talk about like aging steak. Um, if you look at the beef side of things, when when a when an animal is killed, when a cow is killed, it is now it's, yeah, skinned. The quarter, or excuse me, the carcass is actually halved, and it's hung in a cooler for 21 days before anything happens to it. And this isn't even dry- aged. This is just merely letting everything relax, letting the carcass evaporate some of that moisture. And then finally the butcher can go to work on that. From there, as he's cutting off primals and these larger cuts, two things can happen. One, it can get cryovac or vac-sealed, put into a bag, and then that, you usually, usually see those at a packing house or you see those at your grocery store. And that's referred to as a wet age because it is being aged in the purge that's within that meat. And that's where you see a lot of our normal uh, packing processes happen. And it's it's quick, it's efficient, does a good job. Then you see where folks go to this dry aging, where they actually have these humidor's and these refrigerators where they can not only change temperature but they can change the amount of humidity, and there they start doing these primals in this long dry age. And what we're doing is not that when it comes to venison. We are not dry aging the venison. We are still at the moment of hanging and relaxing the muscles. We're letting enzymes go to work. Could you then go to this next level where we're doing the dry aging? Absolutely, but I would say there's a lot more. There's a control element you need to have. There's some preparation with that. So what essentially is happening is that when you hang your deer up, It has to go through rigamortis, and that's that process of basically the body shutting down. Um, Neurons are still firing for a long time. Uh, Even after the animal is dead, you're still going to get a couple kicks and twitches and stuff that's going on there. If you've ever walked up on a deer real early and then taken your knife and cut in deep to one of those deep tissues, you still see them twitching and firing, and you see that leg is almost like this quiver. And... Those are all those neurons still firing, trying to figure out what their what their last process is going to be. Um, so it, eventually, all those neurons stiffen, and that's where you, yeah, you walk up and everything's stiff. From that point, that's when rigor mortis is beginning, and it takes. I don't. I guess I don't have an absolute number on that. It depends on the size of the animal. Um, depends on the duration of that it's been dead. But there's a time period where everything's going to be so stiff and those neurons are going to shrink that if you take everything off the bone real quick you could possibly have some shrinkage in the size of your cuts they didn't change weight but what has happened is like if you cut that back strap off right away you could get some shortening of that and that's going to result in some pockets of toughness even in our most prized venison tender cut you could get some uh, some toughness, but by letting that creature hang, letting that animal hang, either you know from the from the from the neck or from the feet, however you want to put it up there, there's a moment where that whole body is just going to relax. Rigor mortis is going to be that 12 hour to like 18 hours that finally goes through that. All the joints are going to start loosening up a little bit, and then after that, you're going to get to these enzymes that are working in that body, you're going to find things start to come away easier from silver skin. You're going to find it's easier to cut across grain. You're not going to feel as much resistance because everything's going to be more and more relaxed. Um, Danielle Pruitt did an article, and they had a meat scientist basically explain what was going on, and they used a gauge, and I forget the unit that they used for how to basically tell how tender things were but from their study from their little uh experiment they found that most of that worked happened within seven days that the most tenderization happened at day seven so when you hang that up day one from day one to day seven you have the most exponential work from day seven to day fourteen there's still tenderizing going on, but it's not near at the exponential rate that we had before. And then from 14 to 21, it really started to plateau. So you have like that bell curve action. Um, so personally, I want to take full advantage of whatever tenderization I can get from that meat. And so if I have the be- or if I have the uh, the graces to be able to hang that for seven days, that's going to be my mark. If, you know, things get busy and it might be one of those things like, oh, I got to put it off for two more days, so you push it to day nine. If I've got good temperature, I've got good control, I might push it to nine. If things start to get real hectic and I won't be able to get down and give it the proper time, and so I got to start cutting at day five, well, you know, hey, it had five days of hanging, and that's gonna just going to have to be good enough for it. But if I can get that seven, seven days, I have found that I have got probably like zeroed in on some really good quality venison there.
1: What kind of environment do you need to hang a, a, a quarter deer for seven days? Temperature, um, a garage. I mean, does it need to be a sterile environment? It Could it be outside if the weather's conducive to that? What So specifically like temperature range is, is my big question.
2: Yeah, 40s, that's like a green okay. light. 40s is good. We're not wanting to freeze the animal. Um, and at that point, if you're getting 40s um, – 40s at night it would be nice to be inside of a garage just because you've got a concrete floor that concrete's still cold you got it out of the shade uh it's going to be protected dry is going to be a key thing to air so if it's inside if it's you know gets up to 60 during the day but it's raining you still have that cold concrete that's keeping the inside of that shed or that garage uh colder keeping the lights off I don't know if, if ultraviolet actually does something maybe it's just temperature. I don't want to turn those fluorescents on it. Um, But at the same time, like keeping it dry in there, letting air flow in and around the cavity. I keep the skin on just for cleanliness, but I have a, you know, I'm opening up that rib cage. I'm trying to get every orifice that I can to have exposed so that it's getting as much air flow through that cavity. Anytime that air is touching that meat, I want it to be nice and dry. Um, So outside does work if you're going to be not having any weather come through. But that's one of those, like, you got to gauge it on what you're going to do with that. Once you get into like 30s uh, during the night and even, you know, it's not going to be super hot during the day that, yeah, just leaving it in the garage, you're going to be just fine. Um, it's almost one of those things, too, like if it gets too cold, granted, you don't get that until like super late season. Then you end up freezing your carcass in place and then it becomes a little harder to cut. Yeah.
1: So can can a hanging deer, can, it, can, it, the, can the meat absorb smells in a garage i mean yeah you know, some garage they smell like gas and exhaust i mean can that meat absorb kind of the environmental smells uh in, in in the area it's at
2: as far as aerosol contamination i don't think you're gonna get a taste factor in that but i yeah again keeping things dry and keeping things keeping air moving if you okay. have a stuffy garage that has got a bunch of gas in it nobody likes that that's you know you don't want to throw it in there but at the same time if you move that gas out the side air the place out you know give a little respect to the animal that's hanging right there kind of move that around because that's my shop is where i i hang my deer in but that's also my woodworking shop and so like actually the sawdust gets used i throw that into a kiddie pool and that gets slid underneath um the deer to absorb the blood so i use that towards my advantage you know i got i do i have the mixed gas and i've got the regular gas and i I kind of just pull those cans out just to get those fumes out of there um so as far as it like like absorbing surrounding smells i don't think it's going to do that but at the same time like this is the food that you're treating that's not going to necessarily contaminate it but at the same time you want to have a place that you can you know, sterilize a couple surfaces that you're going to be cutting on because you're going to bag it. You're going to eat it. So that's one thing you yeah. want to be thinking about as well.
1: So you, so you get to that kind of seven day sweet spot that you're looking for, for deer to, to hang and, and age. Um, are you, now you are processing at this point, all of your deer, correct? Or, or are you just letting it hang and then taking it to a processor? So two part question, are you doing the work? Uh, and if you are, what's kind of your first, your first go-to or your first move? to start processing this animal.
2: Yeah, I process my own. Um, I did a bunch of research on that. Like my first deer, I, when I shot it, I knew like, this is, I want to take this full circle. There was something about like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's no, that's not like taking a shot at professionals who can take a deer and get you it you know, back in a couple of days in a box, ready to go. They're 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 in the same boat that I am. That they had to go through training. They know how to get the best quality out of your deer, and they're going to get you the, a really good product. Creating relationships with processors is a great thing, a great first step. Um, Getting to know what they like, getting to know how you want things done. There's a back and forth that can happen. That's going to get you a good product out of there. But when I started, I knew like I I wanted to do this, and so. Um, my first step on that is, uh, yeah, I, I leave it hanging whole. I leave it hanging with hide on. You got two camps there. Some people want to take that all off because it's going to get all that heat out of that animal quicker. I like to leave it on because again, it is going to be in my shop and keeping that connective tissue on and keeping that hide on. You know, if I if I bump it with the mower or you know something wipes across it or I do, i got to run the table saw for some reason and I blow a bunch of sawdust, it's not blowing all over the carcass. It's going to stay nice and clean. And so is it going to be a stiffer, tougher job getting off a dried hide or a hide that's been dried onto the animal, stiffened onto that animal? Yes, it's going to take a little bit more of a process. Um, Using that golf ball method where you start from the back legs, Hook in that golf ball, have your strap onto that, and just just let the the gator or the ATV walk itself away. That's a great trick, just to alleviate some of the work on on you. Because I, I don't think folks realize, like you know, when we when you take apart an animal, they refer to it as breaking, and they're like, yeah, you're breaking the animal, but at this same process it is also breaking you. Um, it it is by no means an easy. Task being a slaughterman, being a butcher, is not a glorious thing in our community. Well, I, I would say it's getting better in our community because people are are seeing what they do and respecting how they do it. But taking a hide off of an animal is is very difficult. Very, your hands start to cramp up, and then even when it comes to taking quarters off. You have to lift that quarter. You have to lift that front leg in order to get your knife in there. And after a while, if you haven't done that or just know your movements and how to, like, hold different pieces of meat, as soon as you let that thing go, you've got that full weight falling into, you know, your offhand there. And you got to be able to catch it. Otherwise, you're dropping it on the ground. Um, but even standing on concrete, you know, kind of getting yourself off concrete or throwing on some really cushy shoes, I know folks always laugh at the Crocs, but I tell you, butchering in Crocs in the garage is probably, that's the, that's a pro tip right there because you've got some <laughs> squish on those. You're going to feel that in your hamstrings, your lower back, get you some real cushy shoes that you can be able to cut in because you're going to be standing there a long time.
0: Big Croc fan right here. Big Croc fan. <clears throat>
2: so I'm with you on that. Good. So yeah, I feel like I've you know, I, I there's chapter one. We've now got the animal broken. We've got it at least on our table. The other process that I do is trying to alleviate some of that bending over. So I'll take my my block, whatever I'm using as far as what I'm cutting on. It could be. I mean, shoot, guys use uh, the 8-foot or even the 6-foot party tables, the fold-down tables. Those are great because you can clean those things up real nice, and then at the same time when you're all done, they spray off and wash up real nice as well. Problem is, is they're set for a height to be for sitting, for uh, hanging out at a party, so you're in a chair, and so it's a really low level.
0: It works well for us short people. Don't don't worry, that's exactly (laughs) what I use, so...
2: (laughs) even even as i'm here at 58 i got 1 inch on andrew here at 57 it's still you're going to feel it in your lower back man you're going to be like i'm going to die from bending over cutting this raise that table up to like yes. 36 inches raise yes. it up to like counter height or bar height if you can stand yourself up you're going to enjoy cutting this deer more if you have it bent over, man, you're going to have people, like, let's say you got five guys that are all working there. You're going to have two guys drop out and they ain't going to be able to do it anymore.
1: Yeah. So Nick, I just, I just real quick, i want to circle back. I, there's a question that I talked about temperature. Um, and then I want to dive into kind of chapter two. And I've, I've got a lot of questions. Andrew processes all of his deer. I've done three, two, two of mine, one for a friend. Uh, I have a lot of questions and I'm, I'm kind of doubting really questioning what i did uh on the on the other 3 deer uh i feel Listen, a, I feel Paul, this a is
2: little a safe environment i feel a safe place for you sir <laughs> okay do not so just, feel like any any judgments coming your way at all not worried about right,
0: your past so, it's about the future
2: yeah so <laughs> yeah. so
1: so fair fair enough just real, so if i've got uh, if i've got a garage shed and i'm kind of on that like early season High 40s overnight, maybe I can't get it, you know, to, to like a comfortable level. What are some things that I can do to lower the temperature to hang this deer?
0: And and Paul, this this is what I went through last weekend, right? So I yeah. killed that deer, and I think uh, we were gonna get down in the 30s, but my barn holds some heat, and I had to keep the door open, but I didn't want to keep it wide open because there's stuff in there I didn't want people to walk away with. Um, so go ahead, Nick.
2: Yeah, um, if you're in that it, that iffy situation. Um, and you really want to just yeah protect that that animal, I would get a box fan, get a box okay. fan and turn it on there at that way, moving air is better than stagnant air okay. uh dry is better than moist that's gonna harbor a lot more bacteria, so maybe taking the extra step and when you when you got it, really take that that ribcage opener all the way up rather than stuff the the ice down in there. Open that up as much as you can, turn that fan on there, and that should that should do it. Dry is going to be your friend at this point. Um, I've heard of people, it gets more into like the dry aging thing of it, and it might apply even into a scenario like this. I'm just thinking off the cuff here. But they'll take red wine vinegar, and they went with red wine vinegar just because it, it flavored or it's more flavored like meat as opposed to like an apple cider vinegar. I think that would work, it's, but at the same time you've got an acidic solution. You throw it into a spray bottle, and any exposed surface, any exposed meat, you would then hit that with the uh, the vinegar. There, it's not going to alter the meat at that point. It's already starting to dry, but it just it just gives an acidic plane that whatever spores or bacteria or anything that's going to start to have happen will then kind of be held off at that point. It'll buy you a little more time. But getting that thing cooled down is going to be your key thing. Probably making some cuts in the ham. Uh, getting to that femur to do get get to that bone a little bit more um, may give you a little extra time, too, to get that natural body heat off of it. But turn that fan on there and just yeah, make sure it's dry.
1: Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to circle back. That was, uh, you know, I, I I wanted to ask that question and and, and it kind of blank. So let's go into, to, to phase two here. Um, you've got the animal broken down, which I, I like that term. Um, so at this point, someone like me, I, the few animals that I have done, they were very basic, um, Shamefully, one of the methods and, and we're, we're talking like 15 years ago that, that I had read was, you know, you wrap it up in foil or plastic and then you submerge it in water and a cooler ice water for you know, seven to 10 days. And that's what I did. Yeah. You and know, I, I, I the Internet wasn't as popular as it is today. So it was kind of, you know, I probably cut it out of some like Backwoods magazine or something like that. Um, so I did that. And, you know, I, I I definitely butchered the cuts was kind of the. Well when I say butchered i I didn't actually mean to say that uh i i did do them well is what i'm you, is what i'm saying you butchered so, the butchering I butchered the butchering so <laughs> so for for someone like you you've 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 gone through this process you've learned you've done all the hard work you're getting there um are you doing kind of the same process the same butchering every time or or are you experimenting with cuts you know how, how and do you have like a special cut that you like to do that you know, maybe you don't do every time that you know, something just uh, yeah, a special deer or a special moment.
2: Yeah. here I'm going to, I'm going to tease, tease everybody. So they have to, they have to tune in. They got to listen to me before I give them the, the good stuff. I'm going to give you three cuts that if you butcher your own animal, you will get these prized cuts and you'll never get them by going to a processor. You'll never get them by getting them done by a buddy who says he can do it fast. This is stuff that you got to pay attention to. So I got three cuts coming to you, and I'm going to hold back on those. Um, but, yeah, going through that process of of learning how to break down these animals, yeah, there was some time invested into it. And just like, you know, my very first deer, this, this guy right back here, we called them giblets, and essentially it was just pieces of meat that were too small to be necessarily steaks. It's like little pieces of kebab. And we just referred yeah. to like, yeah, we had giblets. You'd, you'd throw them on a grill. Actually you'd throw down tinfoil and then you would throw down these giblets because they would fall through the middle of the grates. And yeah. that was, that was what we knew. And I've for that, after that, I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And so my my basic first go-around at it is kind of when I approach any deer is I want to start, I want to, yeah, you have the carcass, then you break down into quarters, which there's more than just four quarters on an animal, but they're really focusing on the legs at that point. But you got your saddle, uh, which is basically the spine that holds your, your back straps and on the underside your tenderloins. And then you've got your, your neck and your chuck, uh, I separate that off, but that's a whole another uh, cut that you can then get from. Is, so is, you've got is, these pieces. Is neck that, and
0: is neck and chuck the same thing?
2: Uh, well, the neck is the neck, but then the chuck is the chest area, like the brisket. Or like yeah, okay. brisket on a beef. Um, you can get. You can get... There's a, there's a fourth one here we could talk about. I'll, I'll tease that one later, I guess. But there's a fourth cut you can get, being that it's a venison brisket. I treat it differently than I do a beef brisket. Um, but you've got, the, yeah, that brisket side, the chuck and the, the neck. You've got your two shoulders, your saddle, your two hinds. And then you got the fifth quarter, the stuff that you pull out from the inside, whatever organs you're looking for. Um, yeah, heart. That is one I think that any hunter uh, should do. Both... Uh, ceremonially, sentimentally, you know, imagery of like, you know, this is the the heart of the beast. I feel like every hunter should at least go home with that and try out that. And it's good.
0: It's good. Oh, like, it's, it, dynamite. it's dynamite. It's weird to stuff. think about if you're not used to it. But, man, the after I ate it one time, I'm like, sold. Let's go. Yep. So you've got these
2: pieces and you put them on your table here. Um, kind of with your process, it, cold meat cuts better than warm meat. So if you've got that cooler with that ice still in there, pull throw all those pieces back in that uh cooler or if you've got the fridge situation like I got going on, all those pieces go back into the fridge except for the one that I'm working on or the one that my buddy's working on that we want to keep everything cold and you just want to have one piece. You've got one piece that has your attention. You're not letting the ADHD start to wander. You're thinking about the back strap, but you, you know, you're not there yet. Um Focus on that one piece and speaking of like how you want to be able to which piece should I do first do the stuff that you don't want to do while you're fresh again breaking the animals breaking you at the same time get the hard stuff to work on first those front shoulders the the rib sections get those taken care of first because those are the ones, not to say that they're not as exciting, but they're going to offer, they got. They need the most knife work, they're going to need the most attention, and they're going to need the most energy. And do that while you're fresh. Shoot, you can take back straps off while you're dog tired because it's the end of the night at that point, And that's that prize cut that you're already thinking about. Do the hard work first. Do the not exciting stuff first. And then work your way to getting to the good stuff where then you get to the hind leg. It's got your roasts all on here. You. you're excited to, for that piece. But at that point you've been warmed up by, uh, with your knife work, you've gotten a lot of that major boning done with the bony sections. Now you're ready to really work in onto those roasts.
1: So real basic question here. Um, and I feel like a lot of people have, will have the same question. What kind of tools do I need to do this?
2: You want to have the real basic tools, but you want real trusty tools. Um, shoot, Outdoor Edge. Uh, I know they're a they're an affiliate of of Sportsman's Empire, so I'm going to throw their name. They got a great little knife kit. It's got like three knives in there. I think it's got a saw, which I don't even think you're going to need the saw once you get to the butchering table. Well, you, you might need it. You might want the bone saw a couple times, but. It's got, like, two knives in there. It's got, like, a skinning knife, and then it's got a uh, a boning knife. That's pretty much all you're going to need. You just want to have a good stout knife that you are comfortable with. Um, personally, and shoot, I can get them on Amazon, I think, for, like, 20 25 bucks But I get these either Victorinox or Dexter boning knives. They're a 6-inch boning knife, uh, semi-flex. I like something that's not super stiff. Uh, the semi-flex helps because I can basically put that edge right there on that bone. It's going to flex the blade. It's not going to snap. But then I can make sure that I that blade is going right there next to the bone, taking all the meat off. Uh, it's a high-carbon steel, which makes it really nice for sharpening. It doesn't keep an edge as long as, say, some of these higher-priced knives that uh, are a little bit more pure stainless steel. But at the same time, I can put an edge back on way better than I can one of the more expensive expensive knives. And to round that all out is just to have a steel or a, a hone with you, not a sharpener. you know you can I mean a sharpener, you do that at the beginning. At every Between, like, each section that you're doing, you're grabbing your steel, which is essentially this rod of steel. Some of them have lines in them or divots. Some of them are smooth. And what I'm doing is I'm basically taking that edge and just running that along the the edge of that, and I'm just bringing my edge back up. It's It's there, but the more that I've hit it into the table, the more I've dug it into the bone, it begins to take that edge and just curl it. And so by putting three or four swipes on a hone, I'm straightening that curl out, making it easier on me. If I'm cutting with a dull knife, shoot, more people get cut by dull knives than sharp knives, hands down. Getting that knife back sharp, you're not working as hard, and you're being much more clean and efficient with those cuts.
0: So you mentioned the outdoor edge idea that kind of the replaceable, uh, I mean, those things are surgical surgically sharp right um what do you use that for as far as just the skinning process or are you using that all throughout
2: no i'm talking outdoors older ones where they're the fixed blade okay attached on there a little bit more i mean they've got that rubber handle to them uh they got a nice blade onto them the replaceable blades those are those i think were probably good for an experienced hand in the fact that they are so thin. Um, If you really, like for a a field dressing job, those replaceable blades are super slick. I did see they came out with a bigger uh, replaceable blade that I have not gotten my hands on. I have not gotten a chance to try that one out. Um, My only hesitation on using the replaceable ones is, yeah, oh, they're super surgical sharp, but they just don't have that durability for the flex left and right As I'm working on to one of those ribs. I'm just afraid I'm going to snap one of those and yeah, it's the replaceable, but I just, in the snap, I don't want to Nick myself on that because they are so razor sharp. So when I'm, yeah, when I'm butchering an animal, I want to go with something that's going to be a fixed blade. Uh, some of their older models that they got.
1: So let's, let's start at the legs. Uh, you said that's the, that's the hardest part. And it's been a couple years since I've done this. I do remember Um, that was very difficult. So when I've got kind of that front shoulder, I guess would the brisket be on there or is it? Yeah. So, well, you've
2: separated it from the brisket at that point. So, so what, what am I,
1: what am I looking for, uh, in terms of cut and kind of preparation and the actual like act of, you know, what, what cuts am I looking for and how how am I getting there?
2: Gotcha. With that shoulder, I like to break the, the whole shoulder down to the three sections i've got my shank i've got my mid roast and then i've got my blade roast off on the other side and those three areas offer some different applications as far as cooking um my favorite cut happens to come from shanks uh just that long cook on those you just get oh my goodness you talk about delicious venison you talk about a unique flavor profile you slow roast shanks that's, that's your ticket right there. You'll never throw another one into burger, A, because you don't have to deal with all the sinews. But then, B, like, why go through that process, man? Throw that in the slow cooker. It's just your best cut. So that, that section I just leave alone. Uh, your midsection, uh, where your humerus is going to be at, uh, I a mean, little bit more meat, but still a lot of connective tissue in that center uh, cut of that shoulder. Um, that's another great stew piece. Um, If you were looking for more burger, that's a great one to dice up and to throw through the grinder. So you can have a couple different applications with that one. And then when you get into the blade roast, uh, again, you could throw the whole thing in for a large family. Um, There is, and this is the first of the cuts that you'll never get from uh, a processor or a buddy who can do it super fast. You're going to get your flat irons. There's two flat iron stakes that you can get off your shoulder. If you're really interested in that, I believe I believe the uh, Sportsman's Empire YouTube channel is still online. I have two videos on there, one being for shoulders and one being for hind legs, if you wanted to take a look at that. But what I do is I find the, the outside of that blade as in what's face what would be facing away from the animal opposite of the uh armpit essentially and in the middle of that runs a ridge on that blade so even though it's a big paddle there is like this ridge that runs along the top so i'll take my knife and score both sides of that and on the side that's going to be the, uh covering the blade one side is short the other side side is wide you do got to be careful, but if you can fish your blade underneath and get really close to that bone and pull that whole section off, you end up with like a rectangle piece of meat. Now, in between that piece, those two pieces of meat runs a very thick piece of of silver skin so again you got to get very uh, technical with running that blade you're going to work at one end find where that tendon is at and you're going to then slide your blade between both of those and kind of open that up following that that silver skin once you can take that silver skin out you are ended up with oh probably on a on a big buck three quarters of an inch thick On a smaller dough, it's going to be about a half inch thick, but you have a nice uh, thin piece of steak there. These two rectangles, I tell you what, for breakfast, if you wanted steak and eggs, pop those on there. You have to only do like a 45-second sear on both sides of those. Mm. And to get tender meat off a shoulder, like this is a really, it's, it's like a little gem in a in a cavern right there so finding the flat irons and playing with those trying to get something and hey if you screw them up doing them the first time you just got to shoot another deer and then you can try it again
1: <laughs> good deal or so you we've have got... two
2: shoulders too you have yeah. two strikes
1: to start over start over on the other side. So <laughs> so we've got so we've got our first uh, I'm gonna call it a luxury cut. Is that what I'm looking for? I'm looking sure, for a luxury cut. Yeah. Lu- luxury, luxury cut. That's trademark Nick, by the way. Um <laughs> so, so we've got we've got the shoulder butchered, we've got this awesome flat iron steak that, you know, probably ninety-nine percent of us didn't even know was possible on a on a deer. Uh where are you going next?
2: Um so that'll that'll do it for the shoulder. The shoulder it's, it's a hard-worked muscle. You'll hear guys talk about, you know, the further you get away from the, the head and the hoof, the more tender the meat's going to be. You know, that's where we get our backstrap. We get our our, uh, our ribeyes from, from cattle or our tenderloins. And so that shoulder, I mean, that holds the front end of that animal up, um, and it's doing a lot of work. So you're going to get more connective tissue. You're going to get tougher meat on that. Um, so... Sticking with that realm of stewing those cuts or uh, making burger out of those cuts is a, is a really good good option for that shoulder. So then if we move to the, the hind leg, it, it still is supporting the weight of the animal, but you've got such big musculature. It's like the bodybuilding end of this animal. This is the true powerhouse. This is how the critters get away is with that hind leg that we go from those tougher cuts up front to go into that back leg. And now we've got those roasts and it really is one of those enigmas that as you start to break into that, like you were talking about before how you butchered the butchering job, this is one again, like if you, if you study it, if you look at it and you really kind of find your way around it, it opens up like a book. It almost wants to take itself apart but you've got to be able to read the language. And so that's where doing this a couple times, if if you're just starting out with this and you're like, shoot, I'm like, Paul, I screwed this up. Like, woe is me. Hey, just make burger out of it or just make, you know, make kebabs. Like there's, always oh, you can't, yeah, giblets. You can't screw it up because we enjoy those. We talk about those still. You know, you get to the point where you finally, like, throw it in the ground pile, and that doesn't mean it's, like, the end all be all throw it away. It's just that's how you're going to use it. You know, work on your your cut job again later. But um, taking the shank off of that hind leg, that's a really meaty shake. My wife and I uh, just had um, some sous vide and broiled shanks the other night.
0: Those looked amazing, and by I, the way.
2: Oh, yeah. If you check those out on um, Instagram, I, I really felt proud of that i really was trying to work on something different like with the sous vide i've got it and i've i've been trying to do more with it it took me 48 hours because it was such a big shank such a lot of meat on that but you get one of those rear shanks yeah it'll feed two adults we were we were both full at the end of the night we the other one went to lunches and i had that one uh for lunch today so you know being able to Uh, use that you're gonna get a lot of meat off of it but then i'm now left with that full like back end of that deer and working actually you know it it does seem weird but if you work your fingers in where you've cut that shank you work your fingers in and find where there's a seam you can begin to open up that that basically that cluster of meat because it's surrounding that femur bone it's all holding on to that femur bone at different points so wherever that bone is at if you can stick your fingers between connective tissues and find like oh this seems like an avenue where two large muscle groups are separated then you can add your knife in there and cut from inside out and that's going to begin to open this up and then you'll see I have a top round, a bottom round, an inside round, and then that football roast or the sirloin cap that everybody's been looking for.
1: A sirloin cap. Is that part of the luxury cut or is that just your that's your no, standard that's, that's, your, that's standard your standard deer steak, cut. right? So, so let, okay. why why are deer steaks always so thin from the processors? Is that why why is that? I the, you know what I'm talking about. They're as thick as this damn pencil. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Why is that? <laughs>
2: I think it's just a guy going to town with a knife he's set up there he's got this piece and poop 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 he just goes on through um at that point it's one of those things like if you don't if you haven't created a relationship with the processor to know like hey i'm I'm looking for three quarter inch please yeah if you haven't established that and to really go into like i I wouldn't be I wouldn't be throwing that down like the first thing that you're telling them, like, don't give me them skimpy steaks. Like, give me the thick ones. (laughs) Uh, You know, create that relationship. Like, hey, this is what I like. Here's what I've noticed. I'd rather go with uh, less quantity of steak and a thicker steak. (laughs) Tell him your needs and how he can help you with that. And that does be able to help. Now... You know, some guys are busy and they just they get into a groove. They got a job yeah. to do, and so stuff's just going to get happened. But creating that relationship, I'm thinking they're just they're just busting balls and they're they're just going to get the job done. So I'm thinking that's why they end up so thin. Yeah.
1: So we got the powerhouse butchered. Where uh, where's our next move?
2: Gotcha. You know what? I probably should have talked about luxury cut number two uh, on okay. this before we opened up that book. But it can still happen. It can still happen. Um, so where you've taken off the hind leg, there's the ball joint of the femur that's exposed. You see that ball, uh, looking up at you again, if you really wanted to give this a shot, uh, go ahead and head over to YouTube again, um, on the sportsman's empire and you find the hunt of war videos, you'll, you'll find it there. But anyway, I use that ball as my mid guide uh, to know that I'm gonna make this straight cut that's going to intersect that ball or come right against that ball. And now it's this part that's actually been wrapped around the pelvis, so you actually cut this section off from the pelvis and it creates like this oh, it's like a half circle almost where it's like these muscles weren't they're, they're attached to the hip. they're not attached to the femur and they're just kind of laying there in front of you. It's like this half circle. What I do is I take the top and the bottom points and I, you know, I even take my knife and I nick the, the points just so I can keep a straight line in my own head and then I try to connect that and what I'm essentially doing is taking off the rounded rump portion of this hind quarter. I'm taking off that rump and I'm going to then use this rump and I'm going to tie it up and I'm going to create rump stakes. They're essentially the top edge of each of these five muscles that are already on, or four muscles that are on the hind leg. But by cutting it here, it gives me a nice line to work off of on the other muscles. It gives me some cleaner lines to work with. But this rump section, those pieces don't really line up. They get, kind of get cut off anyway. But if I can keep them all together, so I have this semicircle of meat I can then transform them into stakes. And what I'll do is I'll take that center section and I'll actually put a couple score marks in it just to make it lay a little flatter. I'm going to end up rolling this. And I roll it up. It's going to be real wide on one end and it tapers down to another end on the other. So it's got this odd little shape to it. But by taking string and doing a couple butcher's knots and tying this up, I can then take my staking knife and stake off a rump steak that I've pre-tied. I try to keep two strings on each of these little steaks. But this steak is then made up of each of those different parts. By tying that together, you brush that with just a little bit of oil. Actually, the real trick is you do a little bit of mayonnaise because that'll get you a better sear on the grill. You just brush that on, hit that on the grill at high heat, give that a good sear on the outside, and man... The rump steak is a great way to go. So that's my second luxury cut for you. Love it.
1: I, I'm just hearing you describe that cut of meat. I'm I'm just running through. Okay, I know exactly what I would do. with Paul's that. drooling. So I I am. Yeah, I I am. So so let's 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 go on to to number three. We've got the powerhouse. We've got luxury cut number two. Yep. Um, what's kind of our next our next uh, cut or next area that we're looking to uh, to butcher?
2: Well, if we're going to go in our order of things, like we still got to save that backstrap. Actually, we skipped it. We went to the legs. We should have done that neck. Paul, you got me distracted. You got me oh. so excited. We left the neck in there. But we get back to that neck and that, that chuck, sesh, chuck section. Um, those larger flat pieces on that chuck or that brisket, you can cook those kind of like a carne asada or like a fajita they were like they react i mean meat reacts all the same way but they're so thin they're not thick like a beef brisket that if you can take some of those layers off the chest literally you could get you know you get a blackstone, you can get a griddle you can get charcoal whatever whatever method you're using just get it ripping hot and after a marinade, you lay that sucker on there for 30 seconds each side, pull that off, cut it thin against the grain, and you just lay that either on a bed of fries or you lay that in a tortilla or wherever you're going with it. Mm, that's a great piece. As long as it gets to put into ground, I'm, I'm okay with it as long as you're taking it off. But what I try to do with those is I try to take those off specifically for like fajita night or we had... Uh, place down the road from us it was a brewery they had uh steak and frites and literally they took uh skirt beef skirt steak and kind of did the same method hit it with a chimichurri sauce put it on fries and that was like my go-to dish well they stopped making that dish i think it was too expensive to make or whatever anyway i knew i had to find a way to make it in my own house so anyway i i now repeated it so i get it back
1: I i am a master Chimichurri, are That's you? I, oh, absolutely. That's I, I. I don't. I went to a, a an Argentinian steakhouse in New York, and they, you know, I ordered the steak, and it came with bread and chimichurri, and I, I was like, what? What is this? someday is I'm gonna this?
0: someday I'm gonna <laughs> find you to like. Sitting there geeking out over chimichurri and yeah. turkeys and I'm just well, gonna have when, to walk away.
1: When when you were talking about rolling that steak up and blazing it out, I'm like, dude, I would smother that in chimichurri and I would eat uh, <laughs> the entire thing and I wouldn't I wouldn't breathe until I was done. So so good 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 to hear. I I yeah, good to hear the chimichurri. I'll uh Yes. We'll we'll get together sometime and I'll make you some perfect. Yeah, and
2: Andrew, can. why don't you see yourself out, man? You're not doing out there there anyway. <laughs> no, he can bring the beer. He <laughs> yes, can bring the beer.
1: Some <laughs> meeting. So 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 very good. So let's uh let's kind of finish up the 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 butchering of the deer here. What uh, gotcha. we've got the I straps, was getting to the neck got, part. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, straps, yeah, we we're taking that.
2: Ones. Uh, we were taking the, the breast off, but now we're gonna get up to the the next section. Um, and
0: this part sucks. Every time I get in there, it's just like. Next thing I know, I feel like I'm just massacring this thing and just get off all the meat possible. Jerky, 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 jerky.
2: Yep. (laughs) And those outside flaps, absolutely. It is, after a rutting buck, if you get one here and he is just... I don't don't know what that is. Go ahead. (laughs) But you get one that's just thick and he's just so built. You take that off. All it is is the spine. And then you've got your esophagus that's running in there and all this musculature. Yeah, it's just gelatinous almost it's like man i don't even know where my knife knife needs to go so yeah a keeping it cool that's going to be helping stiffen things up that'll help your knife cut through things um but the second cut or excuse me now we're on the third the third cut that you won't find out of any processor is going to be the neck filet and the neck filet is essentially you've already made the we've made the cut from the saddle where we have the back strap but where you made that cut, the backstrap actually continues up into that neck. That musculature works itself all the way up into the neck to the point where then it finally diminishes. So you take that process of how you take off a backstrap. You run your blade along uh, the top of the spine there, and then you work yourself off to the fin bones that are on those, those vertebrae. You do the same thing on the neck. I pull pull up along the top edge of the spine and it actually turns into that pinochle, which or not pinochle, um Oh, I can't think of it right now. But it's that super huge tendon that runs the neck. That's what hold that's what allows the deer's head to be pulled up, so it's this huge tendon. So the bone or that the fin of the vertebrae ends up connecting into that huge tendon and so you just run your blade along that and you work that out peel it out just like you would a backstrap, and then you start to see where there's this filet there's this like it looks like the back strap is still there just with a little bit more uh silver skin just with a little bit more fat on there if you can pull that out you have just basically given yourself 10 extra inches of backstrap type meat. Is it going to be a little more toothy? Yes. I don't want to say chewy. I'm going to say toothy. But with proper application, you take that and you marinate it to help kind of give a, a little bit of a, a flavor, but then a little bit of tenderness to it. You don't cook it either two ways. You cook it enough to make it tender, or you don't cook it enough to keep it somewhere around that rare to medium rare level then you're still going to be able to get uh, the benefits of that being backstrap like but that filet offers great flavor great tenderness I've actually taken that if you like like a stir fry you take that and in its raw form you slice that maybe quarter inch thin get yourself a mess of those plop that into a bag of uh marinade, whether it be soy sauce, whether it be uh you got your go to jong or whatever whatever spices you want from that Asian style, get yourself a hot pan or if you're really cool you got yourself a wok I really kinda want a walk. I don't have one of those yet. <laughs> Throw those in there and you have got a stir fry just banging ready to happen. So yeah, if you're into the into the stir fry, into the Asian dishes you better be saving your neck fillets. So there, there go. I promised three cuts. You can't get anywhere else. There, luxury,
1: is luxury cuts. I'm, I am, uh, I'm gonna look forward to these. So, so in in terms of butchering the deer, I mean, we're we're getting down to the the, the showstopper, right?
2: Yep, we're what down else is left? down to the saddle, down to the back strap, okay. down to the the tenderloins. I like to, yeah, I I le- save that for last. Um, because it's easy. It's it, it's super easy. What I do is, oh, I. We I mean we talked about our rib sections. You wanted to do those first. Um, that's just a lot of knife work. You're gonna get as much as you can off those rib sections. Will you?
1: If, will you do a crown roast with the ribs every once in a while, or do you just cut them out of there? And...
2: That's why. Well, I was just gonna say that's why I leave it as a saddle because okay. I've I've cut off half of the rib, but I still have another half of the rib that's there. Okay. If I wanted to go to where you're going with the, the crown roast. If I wanted to go to leaving that rib on of my backstrap, so I have that, uh, the tomahawk looking style backstrap, I can totally do that um, because I've got those there. I gave myself options essentially by making that cut. Um, crown roast is a lot of fun. Um, great exercise in knife work great exercise in frenching and what i mean in frenching is the rest of the meat that's in between those bones you have to be able to cut out that meat and then anything connected onto those bones you're going to want to scrape that off you want that i mean if you're going to this length of trying to do a crown roast you want to go something where i am going to want to present this then you know let's do this then don't slide on on this section but scrape each one of those bones bare when I go to roast uh, the crown roast, and what we're referring to the crown roast is is the backstrap that has these bones adorned, and I keep it in longer sections. Uh, in uh, British cuisine, they would end up actually taking this and wrapping it around itself to have uh, either stuffing in the middle. They've even taken and they'll interlace the bones for another uh, addition, and they've got a bun- bunch of stuffing in there. Um, but at the same time, you've got to French these things. Take tinfoil, wrap the top and the sides of all those Frenched bones. Take the time to go ahead and do that because then when you go to the oven or you go to the grill or however you're cooking this, that if the heat hits that exposed bone, it's going to turn it black. And it's just going to do away with all that extra fancy work that you had just gone to. Wrap them up in tinfoil. Roast them how you normally would. Just before presentation, slip those things off and get the ooh and ah and the impression off of
1: because you're gonna have that nice meatball. white really just kind of pops of that rib bone. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because
2: then that you know that that seared caramelized outside dark outside of of the meat contrasted yeah. with that beautiful brilliant white bone. Oh yeah, that's that's the impression that you're trying to make. Right
1: there. That's good stuff. So what uh, what's left in the butchering process?
2: Um I think I we're there. Got,
1: I think we I think we're there. So the tail. Nick and Andrew tell, go ahead. The tail. The tail. tail. <laughs> so uh, we're, you know we're what, about Andrew? it was a joke. I have
2: never had <laughs> venison oxtail. I have had beef oxtail, delicious stuff.
1: Have I don't you know eaten... how
2: much meal you would get out of a white tail's tail. Tail.
1: Have you eaten the, Have you eaten venison tongue? I love beef tongue. That's one of my favorite meats, beef tongue.
2: Beef tongue is good. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I've... it's just big enough. I don't, I don't know.
2: It was, I got to the point where I had three tongues and I made tacos out of them. If you don't know what to do with meat, make tacos and they turn out amazing. That's yeah. the, that's the one spot. Like, how can how can I hide this? How can I how can I try this safely? Just go with tacos and you'll, yeah. you'll love them every time.
1: Yeah. So we're we're at about an hour and 15 minutes on this talk. And this Holy has been smokes. really this has been really good. I have a i i i have a lot of questions about what to do with this. These meats. Um, I I, I would I want to I want to do another episode, a part two at some part point two. in this year, Yeah. Are, would you be okay with that? I want, I want, I want some cooking. Talks. Absolutely. That's not. what I I'm want. am sick
2: of talking to you guys already. We can't do a part two. Well, let's go <laughs> open,
1: open, open the calendar and or get them, get them scheduled. <laughs> so
0: man, this is, this has been great. Andrew, do you have, do you have anything else that I I've got? I've got really three things, but the one thing I was going to say, what do you do if you come across a deer, whether you figure it out in the, in the field or after the fact, if it's got a wound in there, Um, or even just your shot, you know, is there any tips or techniques that you'd suggest as far as preserving as much of the meat possible without, um, you know, setting anybody up for whether, you know, infected meat or something like that?
2: Yeah. Um, shoot. There's a lot of stuff that like, as you take it apart, there's going to be things that, that look odd, that look, uh, you'll, you'll see it. And yeah, as, since we're chasing animals, you're going to find those, like, crazy things. When you start breaking animals apart and you start looking at their inner musculars, you're going to be like, what happened here? Like, shoot, you go to a processor. Anybody who goes to a processor that just is curious to, like, hey, uh, do you have a box of broadheads that you find in these deer? And they'll every processor's got a big box of broadheads and stuff that they find, or they'll have a rib with the or like the broadhead still stuck in there um that was covered up. We cut one up in my shop. Uh Buddy got one and he's like, Yeah, I shot you know, shot the deer. This is actually during gun season. Uh hung it up and we never noticed um he, he said he never noticed the way that he was walking or anything. But we took off the front shoulder and laid it down, and it was six inches shorter than the other side of his deer. Like, literally, one one stood out, like, whatever, 24 to 24 inches, and then the other one was way back up to, like, 18. Wow. And we were like, what is going on here? Holy so we started yeah. cutting, and we, you know, we made our joint cuts. At, at this point, if you know something's up, I would definitely be careful, like... As you're opening things up, you just don't want to cut yourself either with bone, or you don't want to cut yourself with somebody else's broadhead that's in there. So just keep a heads up if something doesn't look right. But we made our joint cuts, and where the midsection of a normal deer, I'm pulling my hands up here, is eight to eight to nine inches wide. This midsection of this deer was down to like four. And we didn't understand what was going on. And so I had one buddy, I handed it to him, and I'm like, hey, bone this out. We want to see what's going on with this. So he's taking the meat off, and that's one of those indicators too. Like you're looking at it like, is this good, or am I going to find like pus? Am I going to find myself with some infection? Anytime you're dealing with pus and infection in an area, take a wide girth at that. Don't necessarily think like, oh, I'm going to save right up to that. Like, eh, Get, get that out of there. Don't don't mess with that. Same thing with blood meat. When you make that shot, um, you know, trying to get as much blood out of them with, you know, through your flush and through your hang. But if you open it up and there's just a bunch of blood meat uh, or basically blood infused in the meat, I, I just wouldn't mess with it. But anyway, back to that, that cut that we had. Once he got done boning that out, we saw that that deer had busted his humerus in half. And what it had done is laid on top of one another. So that bone, when it broke, laid on top of one another. So it sh- you know it shortened it up and then it fused. So wow. this deer was hobbling around or figured out because he's like, I never noticed the deer hobbling. That's why he shot it. It didn't look sick or anything. But it just shows how tough these animals are. That thing could have got shot in the shoulder by some shotgun didn't die just busted that bone in half and that dude just kept on running that so that's probably the craziest thing we found yeah
0: unbelievable the only other question i have so and i you can tell me like as you were telling paul earlier what he was doing wrong uh over the last few years uh the tradition at my house is now new year's eve and new year's day we do all of our grinding right so at that point i'm almost wrapped up for the year um uh, but like i'll take that deer. I'll, you know, skin it, quarter it, everything, debone it, put it into the the freezer, you know, and that could be anywhere, October, whatever. And I pull it back out in uh, late December. Let it thaw out a little bit, do the grinding, mix it with fat. Which do you prefer, pork fat or beef fat?
2: Personally, I like pork fat for its neutral flavor. My venison still tastes like venison at the end of the day. It doesn't have a ton of that beef flavor in there. There are folks that love that beef flavor and they're going to go with beef suet. They're going to go with beef fat, more power to them. I'm going to stick with the pork back fat for the flavor, but at the same time, I also find like if I'm using it in burger and I'm making like a, uh, but yeah, hamburgers, that pork fat is malleable enough. I can make a nice patty with it with an 80, 20 mix. Um, It, it renders out really nice and it helps the sear of the burger. And I, I just like that pork porkiness to it. It's just real neutral versus the uh the beef fat that's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be a little bit more waxy. It's still gonna offer you that uh where you can pallet it together, but it's gonna be a little bit stiffer when it comes to uh searing it on the grill.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I appreciate that. Part. So the so I've got it frozen, I thaw it out, I do all my grinding, and then I refreeze it. Is there an issue with that?
2: The multiple freezings, if you're doing it once or, yeah, if you're doing it once just in your setup, in fact, that's what we're doing as well. You can't get away from the fact that I can't leave this meat fresh for several months. There's no way that I can do that without it spoiling. So I'm going to take all my grind from my my deer this year and freeze it into bags. We're then going to pull it out. We're going to thaw it out. It's going to go through the process of grinding. It's going to get mixed in with the fat, and then it's going to get uh, frozen again. That one time of thaw, refreeze, especially now going into the version where it's into the burger, is is going to be a pretty safe route. If I am thawing, refreezing, thawing, refreezing multiple times of a whole piece of meat... I'm going to really start to mess with the moisture because there's there's moisture in all of this meat. Uh, so then when I put it in the freezer, it's going to freeze. Water's going to freeze, and it crystallize. And when you get a crystallization, it's essentially like a little needle point in the flesh that it's now making that little point. And so then when you thaw it out and your counter, you notice this... This water and this blood that comes out, that's not water and blood. That is purge. Well, it is water, but it's also just protein from the meat itself. It's not additional blood. So now that that purge has been leached out of that steak. It is now missing that. You do that multiple times in a row, and you're going to have... Essentially, a piece of jerky sitting there. Or if you go to cook it up, you're gonna be like, "Man, this stuff is it tastes freezer burned." Well, essentially, you've stabbed it a million and a half times with these really small pieces of ice. Now, back to your grind setup, you took that surface area and you just ground it all up. So you're gonna get purge from that anyway because it's been ground, and you're introducing fat, which is also gonna impart a moisture and flavor. That's going to be the safest route, especially if you're going to do the route that you're doing right now. Ours is not uh, New Year's Day. Ours is going to be the week after. All my buddies are getting together, and we're doing a big grind night, and that's what we're doing. We're just going to freeze everything up nice and hard now, thaw everything once, run it through the grinder, throw it back in the freezer, and then we get to enjoy that throughout the rest of the year. Awesome
1: good deal
0: well hey nick so, we'll get you set up for another another episode for sure man if you got the if you want to want to come back on so
2: absolutely hey anytime yeah. that i can help out those uh, folks in that state that's below us i'm uh i'm all for it <laughs> we can call
1: truce for the, the hour and a half <laughs> there you go nick where can people find your show where can they find you on social
2: media Gotcha, yeah. My best spot for social media is going to be at Huntivore on Instagram. Um, I'm constantly trying to just show stuff that I'm doing um, with meat. I, I like to play with things. I like to try new things. I might see something from somebody and want to give it a shot with Wild Game. Um, so you'll see that through my stories. And then I just post my adventures throughout there, things that, that's happening. So that's probably a quick way to also get a hold of me as well. Just hit, hit up my DMs and I'll be sure to to get back with you if you have any questions shoot those on there too i might even just do a little uh shout out to you on a story and we'll uh we'll answer the question for you or what you want to try to do um but yeah my show airs on mondays i'm bi-weekly as far as uh being on sportsman's nation I tell you, this is a tough job here, guys. We gotta not only have our nine to fives, but we gotta then put our own two cents into video or uh, audio yeah. form. So yeah, I I had to go the uh, the bi weekly, but you can catch me Mondays on Sportsman's Empire. Very good.
1: Any big hunting plans uh for this this fall and winter?
2: Um we're gonna be sticking pretty close to how uh pretty close to home here. I do have a friend that bought a house uh probably about forty minutes away that'll be that'll be one that I'm going to take advantage of cuz he's not a hunter. He just bought like 7 to 10 acres and he's like, "Dude, I think there's deer out here if you want to come hunt." And it was like, "Look at that. The okay. invitation was even <laughs> given to me." Eh, yeah. Awesome. And he's got uh he's only got requests that he wants He wants some venison, so it was, like, beautiful excuse. So we're going to do that. I put all my eggs into one basket chasing uh, elk early. So, yeah, we're going to be sticking close to home.
1: Very good. Nick, thanks for your time, man. Good luck this year. I can't wait for the food talk uh, here in episode two.
2: Awesome. I love that there's part two, guys. This has been a great, great hour and a half. Just fun getting to know you.
1: Oh, it was great. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: Take care, Nick.